back and welcome to another episode of Trial by Fire, guys. I'm joined again today by my co-host, Jeremias, who is up in uh, Norrbotten in Sweden right now. How are you getting yeah. on, dude? I'm good. We had a... It was not a surprise. We knew there was going to snow, but we had a quite a big snowfall happening during the night. So we were able to finish off a lot of the cleaning up the yard duties yesterday. And today we woke up with about... 20 centimeters of snow maybe freshly on the ground it's all quite wet and heavy so it's uh, it's not the nicest snow and it will melt away uh, soon enough but it's always nice to get that sort of reminder of, of what's coming yeah it's amazing how quickly it comes around isn't it and i think well like we got a little bit of snow here last night and um, it, it snowed for about an hour but it was it was like that slushy kind of wet snow that kind of has was gone by the morning time but it's amazing how quickly the seasons like it's one of the things that i've noticed here and also over there in sweden is just how short like the autumn is and it kind of springs on you like we're not even at halloween yet mm. and we're already getting snow and i think that is not something that i'm used to i mean even when i lived in sweden when i, I lived quite far south in skona and you know i think we got like maybe a week of snow uh like way late in the year like maybe i don't know late december i think we we got like a week of snow but obviously up here in finland like we're almost close enough you and i right now in terms of like latitude i believe so yeah, we're probably getting far, pretty think. no so i think we're probably getting like pretty similar conditions uh in terms of temperature and and the rate at which snow is falling or or how soon in the year it's falling you know yeah i think that's it's a little bit different where you are since you're so close to the uh uh, bay of bothnia so close to the ocean there so it, it's it's a diff bit different climate but yeah just in general we're not that far away from each other uh latitude wise anymore but i mean th this this type of snow uh it will it will like twice uh second or third time is usually when the snow sticks so now we haven't had minus degrees for a week or two weeks which we preferably would have a bit so that the ground can properly freeze uh, all the marshlands can freeze all the waterways can freeze the lakes can freeze and all of these things instead of snow creating this slush so it's, it's a fantastic insulator so if it is a thick layer of snow on a marshland for example that marshland will not freeze under so if you walk there with skis or snowshoes or something like that and you step into a hole what normally would be just a frozen um piece would be completely slushy and wet in under so it is sort of as i said it, it is beautiful to have this it's a good uh, reminder what's about to come but i would prefer to have you know minus 10 minus 20 for two weeks before the snow comes the quality of the ice is uh severely worse if you have this sort of backwards season where the snow comes before the proper minus degrees because the snow is it creates a lot of air pockets in the ice so if you like that if you remember that super slushy ice it is filled with air but then you have the core ice which is this solid black you can see through it's like glass almost and that's the type of ice you want because like five centimeters of that would carry a person if it's 10 centimeters we're going with a dog team over it 15 centimeters of snowmobile over it so it's it doesn't, doesn't need much but if it's this air filled snow filled 
ice slush rather than core ice, then we need almost a double the amount to be able to travel safely. Yeah. So, guys, uh, it's really great to be, as I said in the last episode, it's really great to be back in front of the microphone again or behind the microphone. Um, I'm particularly doing it with uh, my good friend Jeremy is here. We are thinking about some ideas for next year, not just around the podcast, but around possibly doing some sort of events or courses. And this kind of came up from an idea that Jeremias and I had. We kind of talked about it quite a while back, but we're only kind of putting it into action now and really putting pen to paper and formulating the ideas. But I think the thing that I find fascinating about being up in the north and things is just this this the sort of the lifestyle that these guys live and it was something that I kind of fell in love with in this in the short amount of time that I was up there and one of the things that I noticed was that it seems quite expensive or at least there's a notion to which that if you want to go up to see or experience the north Lapland and things that it's somehow costs an arm and a leg and you know, you're talking about a thousand euro a night to stay in these like glamping huts and all of this kind of thing. And I think um, both Jeremias and I and, and Hannah as well probably um, thought is that it's kind of disingenuous to uh, be charging like kind of that kind of money for for an experience that where, I mean, like, do you want to do you want to kind of take over here, Jeremias? Because I think this is more your field than mine. But I think. Sure. So. Hannah and I, we um, run a tourism company where we take out guests from all over the world so far. But it is a bucket list thing for them. They, If they get some uh, knowledge or experience that they weren't planning for, they are very, very happy about that. But their goal, uh, in my experience, or at least, is not for them to come here to learn and be like a part of the lifestyle kind of thing. It's more this guest coming in to your house where you take care of them in the best possible way you give them a fantastic experience but then you sort of shake hands say goodbye and that's it our goal is sort of take away that mystical aura of the north if you will and be able to take people home to us give them a a a space here on the homestead to learn a little bit about what it is to be in the north how to dress and all of these things to give people a little bit more confidence if they want to go out further themselves at some point in their life or 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 whatever it might be um but just to give that sort of platform to people right and i think um all in all um what we're talking about here is a three-day course in the arctic with jeremias myself and hannah wherein you will learn some really basic skills around, um, you know, Arctic living, some bushcraft skills, fire lighting skills, some cooking skills, maybe, um, maybe some uh, tree felling, possibly. Driving a dog team. Driving a dog team, exactly. Of course, how could we forget there's there's dogs there as well. Um, you know, obviously, learning how to ride a dog team is like a huge thing in and of itself. And we know that that's not something that you can pick up in the course of a three day uh, weekend, but on a very general holistic sense, how would if, how would you would, it would be awesome for your people to just get a feeling and a sense of what it is to, to be part of an experience like that. Um, this is your homestead. I'm coming in with the skill, the hard bushcraft skills 
and when I say hard, I don't mean difficulty. I mean like the hard skills, the the practical day to day skills. Well, like I mentioned a little bit before, like it it is to to us, it is always about taking down this mysticism. Like we we don't want this part of the world, this part of of uh, northern Sweden, to be this in, inaccessible, uh, hostile place for people that are into bushcraft for example or want to do trips by themselves and things like this and so we want to be able to one bring people here show them how we live like an alternative lifestyle i guess show that that is possible and we're very open to talk about how we're doing things to make it possible um but it is for us it is really this taking it away taking it down to where anyone should be able to feel that they are able to get up here, feel comfortable, and do something that they might have always dream- dreamt of doing but not been able to do for various reasons, whatever that might be. No, absolutely. And I think that is, again, something that we take for granted and I take for granted all the time is that for many people, doing a trip like this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's a bucket list thing. It's like to go up to the Arctic and ride dogs and like live in a homestead and like cook by a fire outside and live like sleep in a, in a, you know, in a hut, in a, in a wooden hut in, in the middle of Lapland. I think they're really freaking cool, uh, bucket list things that maybe we take for granted. I mean, it was, it was certainly magical to me when I was up there and maybe I, I, I never want to, um, sort of, be complacent in how lucky I am to have experienced those things. How cool would it be if we can deliver something like that to people who have always wanted to get up there and really get a real experience of it and not being put through the through the flames, so to speak, in terms of like needing hardcore survival skills. This is not a survivalist course. This is not a course about you've got 15 minutes to get your fire going and all that. I love those courses, but that is not what this is. This is a weekend of like lifestyle experience and and some skills and we want to be able to deliver that to you guys for not that ex- like you know in terms of like costs and stuff i mean Jeremy is not and i were only talking about it apparently there's going to be direct flights pretty soon from london to what's the airport that's near you guys lulo it's a airport about 50 minutes away from here so that's that's it, all, all of a sudden it becomes super accessible the the tickets that I looked at for uh, was it mid February just for the fun of it it was around two hundred euros return or something like that yeah yeah of course from seasons or from month to month but like just flights alone like that's that already cuts out what a lot of people are afraid of it's like oh well how the hell would I get up there I I don't even know how to you know we'll we'll be we'll lay all of that stuff out for you guys and um, when we get the the course kind of like properly up and running on paper and online yeah like i said like it, it, it is about making it uh, making it accessible and uh, it's fun like we we have a lot of fun doing this and han and i were doing tourism on 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 a regular basis during winter and to be able to give people an experience that is a little bit more true to our heart and what we want to do yeah i'm super excited about it so guys keep your ears peeled for that we will be uh, getting all the details online as soon as we can i might even if you guys um by the time this episode comes out if if i do manage to get a sort of a page a detailed page up it will be on the trial by fire website and if you check in the description of this 
episode. If that page is up and running, um, then it should be a link. There should be a link down there. We're hoping that it's going to be a continuous thing. You know, we'll do a few trial runs this year. And I think we're going to be able to offer those at probably discounted rates, um, at least for the first course, um, for the purposes of being able to get feedback from people, take notes. Um, and then obviously the downside or the, you know, the compromise to that uh, reduced prices that we would expect um, our guests to send us some written feedback afterwards or maybe throughout the course uh, being able to give us some feedback. So that would be the kind of the exchange there. Um, so we're still kind of playing with those ideas as well. But yeah, it is, and it is, uh, it, it is, it is for everyone. Like uh, it doesn't matter if you're super experienced in the outdoors or a complete beginner, it is an experience, an immersive experience in the core of this whole course so you can be whoever you want to be and, and come up and, and enjoy some time here if it is just for whatever whatever your, whatever your reason is it shouldn't necessarily matter if it is if you're an advanced or a beginner person uh Jeremy, shall we move on to today's topic yes what do you do you want to you can you can introduce it there I'll, I'll do a bit of a virtual drum roll on the side here <laughs> so we are going to talk about dressing for winter and a little bit about a little bit of, about some ideas that are good to think about and consider it's not necessarily a this is exactly how you have to do it there are so many things that is up to you as an individual the only truth that I have when it comes to it is always wear wool socks, but that's a different that's a different note. Everything else is sort of up for grabs, I guess. Up for grabs, right? And we will um, include a word document. Again, you can find it, probably find that in the description of this website or of this episode, and um, a word document that contains. A lot because this is going to be a super dense episode uh, in terms of it gets a bit we're going to get a bit nerdy we're going to talk about the different ways that we lose heat from our bodies convection evaporation radiation all those sorts of things we're going to talk about the different layers of clothing that we find everything from our base layers down to our feet and the types of uh, you know um, jackets that we're wearing boots things like that and we'll also talk about some injuries some you know what causes frostbite and things like that so it's a pretty dense episode, but rest assured, if you're worried about trying to take notes or trying to remember all of this stuff, we will include a lightweight sort of a Word document that you can kind of access afterwards so that you can just sit back and enjoy the episode and not have to worry about trying to take too many notes down. Yeah. Cool. So I think the first thing to do, um, I suppose, on a practical level is just to kind of investigate just exactly how cold works and how we lose coldness or how we lose heat rather from our bodies um and there's a number of ways that we lose heat from our bodies and it can be quite confusing for people who can't understand why they're still cold i mean it happens all the time even even you know if you're just walking to town or you're in you're on on a commute to to work this this information doesn't necessarily have to be um about the arctic although that's where Jeremias's kind of experience comes from of course um but this information is applicable to everybody everybody from going camping mountain hiking whatever um heat is lost from the body the same way no matter where you are in the world um 
So it's worth kind of thinking about these things um, just on a very day-to-day practical level. We thought with the new season, the winter coming up now, that it was probably a perfect time to equip people with some of this knowledge and uh, I suppose recap on some of the science around uh, yeah, heat and how it works. Um, there are four different ways that we lose heat from our bodies. That is uh, radiation, convection, conduction, and evaporation. And now these things, um, some of them are to do with our bodies, some of them are to do with the clothes that we're wearing, and some of them are to do with the environment that we find ourselves in. So, so radiation, I suppose, is one of the sort of more confusing ones or one of the ones that is, uh, I mean, it's still kind of a little bit of a mystery to even scientists uh, who study this stuff and, are, and we're not quite sure um, how radiation works in its entirety. But essentially, if you think about it in a very simple terms, like the radiator on your in your house, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, a radiator radiates heat. And the way in which that we retain heat from that radiator is by radiation. So the heat coming off that object is basically heating the molecules around us and around our, our bodies and stuff. And the closer we are to that um, object, the, the more warmth or radiation that we're going to get from it. Now, the same thing can be said of heat loss. So lo- our, uh, heat is lost through radiation also. Um, when our bodies uh, are next to a large object, so things like um, big rocks, frozen trees, um, yeah, large objects in our environment. Um, you know, very often, I've, I mean, it's, it's happened to me before and it was something that I didn't know about. Um, maybe you've had experience with this, Jeremias, but camping under a big tree is, it's really difficult to get warm uh, or camping next to a big rock or something in your environment. It always tends to be a bit cooler um, and a bit kind of harder to get your body warm and to sleep better and stuff when you're around these large objects that are essentially, um, yeah, radiating cold heat or cold air uh, towards you the natural inclination, particularly let's say in a very cold environment uh, is to dig down and kind of like set up camp under a tree or under a big rock because it feels as though maybe it's providing shelter uh, or providing like, you know, a block from the wind and stuff. When in actual fact, it's probably better to kind of have like a lean to or something between two smaller trees um, rather than um, trying to kind of uh, get yourself warm next to a big tree. Uh, And I suppose obviously on the, on the, on the kind of on the other side of it as well is gaining heat from our campfires, gaining heat from the sun. Um, this is all done through radiation. So of the way in which you get warm from your campfire is through this. So the more ways in which you can reflect the heat off your off your campfire towards you, um, you'll absorb more of that radiant heat and uh, and obviously your fire is going to be more effective for you. It's on a very practical level. Uh, probably everybody's familiar with the fact that uh, if you're if you've got a a fire lit in a big open space, um, you don't get as much heat from it than if you have like maybe you've built like a bit of a, a wall behind it, um, or you can even put like um a space blanket or a thermal blanket uh, on the back of your shelter, and that will then reflect the radiant heat back towards you. Um, so heat that would be normally lost through the back of the shelter gets trapped and radiated back to you with a space blanket. So that's one way to uh, kind of combat radiant heat. That's interesting. Morse has a, a really good uh, YouTube video about 
fires in winter where he's talking about the space that you want to live in if you want to have any heat from the fire in winter you have quite a good um evidence of where the radiation stops so the the radiation will melt snow to an to x point depending on how much fuel that you have in the fire if you're standing beyond that point you're not getting the radiant heat that you might need in a survival situation for example or if you uh, need to warm your feet or whatever it might be so you want to live in this as, as he puts it you want to live in between the fire and uh, and where the radiant heat stops if you're beyond that you you you're not going to get the radiant heat that you need uh, and he says it in the in the most like funny way in my opinion when it comes to this so it's like no tp fires that's not a thing in winter no tp fires so you want to get get have a good size fire good solid fire if you want to have anything and you have a very good as i said you have a very good evidence on where how far does the radiant heat go small fire means like very small small radiant circle of course and a big fire is a big 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 space to live in yeah i mean it's it seems these things like i like any skills or outdoor kind of skills when somebody says it to you uh and it makes perfect sense it's like yeah obviously the space around the fire where the snow stops melting is like where you're not going to be getting any heat from from your fire so you want to be in that zone where the, the snow is being melted because you're obviously within the radiant heat zone and the ability to light a large fire in the arctic particularly is very important and we need tools like axes so we can properly process large large bodies of wood and uh, big enough saws that can kind of deal with frozen wood and you know things like that so big fires in the arctic is important for big circles are big uh big radiant zones mm -hmm. that's really cool i love that yeah cool so convection is is something that um this is probably where we lose most of our heat from our clothing in regards to bad clothing or bad choices of clothing this isn't where we lose most of our heat from our bodies that would be perspiration or sweating about two-thirds of our body heat is lost from sweating um but in terms of bad choices of clothing where our heat is removed from us is usually convection and basically the way in which this works is that um, when a large fluid lower in a lower temperature than our bodies uh, moves across our body what it does is it basically saps that warm air that we've um, kind of built up around our bodies air is a really good insulator and it's the thing that actually keeps our bodies warm because that's where the heat is being retained is in those those warm pockets of air between our layers and between the the fabric of our garments the cold air comes along and basically saps away those warm pockets of air that you've uh, retained between your layers and replaces it with cold air um, and we call this uh, wind chill basically so like as winds as wind speed doubles um, the temperature will drop by four so that is something that we really need to consider particularly if we're like on snowmobiles or if we're on dogs or even on like a, a, a bike or running even um, the faster you're going the colder it's going to be because that wind chill is going to bring the temperature down and you're going to uh, lose uh, heat next to your body due to um, convection so the way in which we combat this is through our windproof clothing this is very often our outer layers um, 
the very outside layer. So the first layer that gets comes in contact with um, the wind, you want that layer to be as windproof as possible in order to stop that um, wind being able to move through your body and basically steal your body of that warm air that you've been sort of building up. Guys, as we said, we are re- we're like I'm reading this stuff off. I ha- I do know this stuff as does Jeremias, but it like we were saying, it's kind of it can be quite difficult to try and um, articulate it into a yeah. very succinct way without it sounding um, yeah without it sounding like children or idiots. Um, but yeah, I mean, this stuff is it sounds complicated and probably more complicated than it needs to be um, when you're out and you're. Uh, feeling like you're cold you're not necessarily going to start running through oh is it convection is it radiation is it conduction what's happening you're going to get a natural sense of what's wrong so maybe your fingers are cold and well it's probably because my gloves are wet or you know uh, my legs are cold probably because you know i don't have a windproof layer on my legs you know so although this stuff sounds kind of we're trying myself and Jeremy is here are trying not to get too in the weeds with the technical details. I think it's just important to get a general sense of these different things. And when we're talking about our clothing later on in this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of break down uh, the different layers of clothing and some of our favorites. And you'll kind of understand why we've chosen these or where we're coming from with them. So that's why we're kind of, um, yeah, looking at these things in kind of a, a broader sense, first of all, and then we'll try and get a, a little bit more in depth with uh, our clothing and things like that. So with that in mind, uh, yeah. do you want to do tell, tell us a little bit about uh, conduction? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is one of the things that I have uh, not the most issue with, but that I constantly struggle with during winter. Uh, so conduction is the transfer of heat from our body to an object which with uh, which we are in direct contact. Um, so like I often take off my gloves to do something because I don't I don't necessarily have the dexterity enough in thick gloves or mittens to do the stuff that I might have to do. Um, so I, I I often get cold because I'm holding on to something metally or something that is not uh, taken in my heat very well but conduction the, the the conductivity of the substance that the object is made from will determine the rate of conductive heat loss i think that sort of sums it up in a very uh, effective way and it, it, this is sort of read off from the book on the land mm-hmm. yep that's what it's called yeah um, yeah and it, it, it's such a good example. So instead of me tongue twisting it, I'll just take it from here. For example, air is a very poor conductor of heat compared to water, which conducts the heat 24 times more efficiently. This is the reason that our insulating layer dramatically lose their effectiveness when they become soaked by perspiration or other sources of moisture, such as when snow falls down our neck, as often occurs when gathering firewood if we forget to raise our anorak hood before swinging the axe. And that has happened so many times, and we referred to that as a Lapland shower. <laughs> so every now and then, it is fun to get you know you know that guests are just here for a short period of time. They have a good sense of humor. You can ask them to go and just put their hood up and stand 
buy a buy a big spruce tree, mm-hmm. for example, or or a pine tree, smaller mm-hmm. pine tree, and uh, you're saying that you're going to take a picture, and then another guide, for example, go up behind the tree and start shaking it, and then instinctively some people start to look up, and then you can get a fantastic picture of when <laughs> people look up at that snow falling realizing that they're gonna get showered with snow <laughs> a lapland shower that's called a lapland shower i love that i love yeah. that but also like standing around just when or when driving a snowmobile for example the runners on the snowmobile are made out of aluminum and metal uh, so I'll, i often lose uh, heat to conduction through that but it's it, it 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 is uh, aluminum conducts heat nearly hundred times faster than right. ice, which Crazy. is yeah. fast, which is very yeah. Very your fast. hand sticks to aluminum pretty so fucking fast. Sometimes in winter, yeah, exactly. Sometimes in winter, I might even put um, spruce branches or something down on the uh, runners of the snowmobile, or I might even let snow stack up on it on the runners of the snowmobile to have something to stand on that is not directly metal. yeah now that's really really interesting example because that's yeah so you think about we think about like um this like conduction you're thinking about holding objects and your hands getting cold and things which is very obvious but maybe something that's less obvious to people is even you standing on the ground on the ground is cold and your feet are basically like the it's essentially the conduction is basically like a bigger object trying to bring you down to its temperature so whichever object is bigger is going to win out eventually so if you're standing on a cold ass ground uh your feet are going to get cold and you're actually losing heat through your feet through your boots um so one of the things like you said is to to combat that is literally just to put spruce branches down so there's like this you're breaking the connection between you and the ground a little bit um another example i yeah exactly and that's what i was exactly and and that's kind of where i was where i was going with that our thermarests one of the main jobs of our thermarests uh is to break that connection between us and the ground like if you're lying on a on like the most uncomfortable sleep you'll ever have in a tent is if you're lying like although you've got a you think that like your sleeping bag and that like whatever thin layer of ground sheet you have in your tent is going to protect you from the coldness of that ground your sleeping bag is going to compress under you and like there's no there's no insulation between you and the and the forest floor you're going to have a really uncomfortable cold night and a sore cold back the next day the thermarest's job is to break that and what it's doing it's creating is air pocket between you and the ground it's very easy for your body to heat that warm air under you and then the job the thermarest's job then is to basically keep you warm so your own body heat is essentially warming that air in the t- in the thermarest and then the foil lining of the thermarest is retaining that and radiating the heat back at you uh evaporation that's also something that i do this is probably the biggest one, right? Especially in the Arctic. Yeah. So it, it's one of the uh, main things that you have to sort of find a way to deal with sooner rather than later, depending on how, how long you're out. Like you'll always get to the point where you're starting to sweat, but it's just how much are you going to sweat? Uh, so evaporative heat loss occurs directly from our skin through perspiration or respiration and from our clothing when it's damp or wet. 
so we want to really manage our layering uh, so that we can deal with evaporation and perspiration. Um, so we don't want to get our clothing soaked. We don't want to get our different layers soaked, really, or even our feet or hands. But it is one of these things that it is so hard, especially since snow is cold, nice, fluffy, and soft and beautiful until it gets warm or you're starting to radiant heat from your body. If you have, even if you have a good uh, layering system and that snow that gets stuck on your pants or on your arms or something will start to melt and then you'll get wet pants, for example. And that could give you multiple different problems in the future. So evaporation is a real tricky one. Or it's not necessarily tricky, but it's something to be hyper aware about when you're out in winter. And I think that's in general, just outdoors in general, it doesn't necessarily have to be in snowy conditions. Because if you are hiking, for example, and it's October, um, although you might be staying dry, if you've got like if you've got like wet waterproof layers on, if you've got waterproof trousers and waterproof um jacket, you're going to get wet on the inside instead of the outside. And the reason for that is that you're not allowing your body to breathe. Um you've got too many layers on under those waterproof layers. And because the, the waterproof layers are waterproof mm. on both sides, both on, from the outside and from the inside, it stops your body from being able to expel heat. You're going to sweat and your clothes are going to get soaked from the inside. Oftentimes, people will say, oh, I don't think this waterproof pants are working because my clothes are wet under them. Uh, we, we got caught in a, in, a, in a whatever, in a shower. And now my trousers are wet on the inside. I don't think these pants work properly. It's like, no, they do work. It's just that you're not, accommodating for the fact that no moisture can um leave your body because you're working really rigorously or vigorously rather and um like hiking or whatever and you're not aware that your body is overheating so in most they can't leave it fast enough yeah exactly so in most circumstances we 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 should always try and work a little bit colder um, rather than being a little bit warmer. So if you're kind of, you need to get comfortable with just being a little bit on the colder side so that your body doesn't overheat and sweat and essentially soaks soaks your clothes through. And I think that just comes from my experience, just being aware, oh, I'm starting to feel a bit warm. Maybe it's about opening the, if, you, if your clothing has like side zips, uh, letting some air to vent, um, letting some of that heat out from your body. So, and, and even like you were saying, Jeremy, is like unzipping your, like your neck so like to allow for heat to come out through your neck um there's all sorts of ways obviously you can do that even taking off your gloves will help um but yeah i think uh evaporation is kind of a mystical one because um it's probably the most common way that we all lose heat uh as outdoor people not just in the arctic but just in general and i think it's a really easy one to combat if we're aware of um the ways in which uh this heat loss occurs but it is it is uh, one of these things where I can tell someone how it works for me, but we all uh, sweat differently and for different reasons and different amounts. And and if, if I'm very physically active, I might not sweat as much as someone else does, and all of these things. So it's it is re- there's no in my opinion at least there's no like 
uh, fact on how you should do and dress and uh, behave when it comes to dealing with with evaporation it is all up to the individual's experience of course there's a lot of different things you can give pointers on like um there's this saying called start comfortably cold um i usually take when when in in winter i usually take it so that i'm actually not necessarily comfortably cold but i'm 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 a little bit colder than comfortably cold when i start off with skis or or snowshoes and things like that because that gives me both a mental sort of uh, carrot to continue moving, but it also gives me a longer buffer time before I start to feel like I get too warm. Because even if it is minus 10 or minus 15 and, and I'm out on skis, I will get to a point where it starts to get sweaty. It will get to a point where it is starting to get warm. So if I can manage that time, if I need to go from A to B during daylight hours for example i'll manage that by being colder than a little bit colder and comfortable uh, but not so it's dangerous before i start and then during the journey i will be able to accumulate warmth uh, through moving around so that i have a good um sort of heat going when i do stop and that's when i'll put on all the other layers to to retain that heat and then before i go uh, I'll just take off while I pack down. I will get comfortably cool again, and then that sort of cycle starts over. Right. Yeah. So I think in like to summarize evaporation, it's essentially staying dry. So whether that's through your own body sweat or whether that's through a Lapland shower, like you said, or you know, it, it essentially the the drier that you can keep your clothing, the better it's going to be able to perform for you. And essentially, the, the the easier it will be to regulate your your body's kind of core temperature. Yeah. So I think um, just to briefly go over the, those four again, because I think it'd be interesting to kind of start talking about clothing now and layers. We touched on it a little bit, but um, kind of just going through the different layers and what their kind of uses are. I think just really quickly to recap, the four different ways that we lose heat are radiation, which is... Uh, radiant heat like the radiator or like the fire that we were talking about um convection where a fluid with a colder temperature than our body moves across as i.e wind uh, sucks the heat from our body conduction where can um connection or like a direct contact with a larger colder body or it doesn't actually have to be larger but a colder body than ours drop brings the temperature of our bodies down and evaporation which is essentially our clothes getting wet due to sweat or um yeah getting soaked because we're not brushing our snow off or something like that mm-hmm. so there are the four ways that uh we lose heat from our bodies uh, when we're outside um and i think yeah so i think the the most interesting thing maybe to look at next is to uh just to look at our layers and how our layers work and what to consider when you're choosing an outer layer, what to consider when you're choosing a mid layer and also base layers. Um, so maybe you can um, kind of kick this one off for us, Jeremy. Well, as I said earlier or before is the only truth I have here for myself is wool socks. Uh, every other piece of um, layering system or base layer or mid layer or insulating layer is sort of it depends what i am able to 
buy or what I feel like trying or all of these different things. There's so many different factors into into clothing, uh, not just the sort of science of what is the best. But wool socks is my absolute main thing that I always and always have for that simple reason that wool socks will keep you uh, warm or it will help you keep warm even if even if they're damp and for my feet it is the hardest thing to manage um evaporation because we need to take into account for boots that are somewhat waterproof at least uh big enough to trap as much air as possible in into them but we're also uh driving dogs we're also moving around a lot and there's no real good layer for the feet that will let the feet uh, breathe in a good way, right? So that wool socks is the the main truth for me when it comes to layering. Like that's where everything starts. Yeah, and it's an old mantra, isn't it? It's like you know uh, they say cotton kills, and that you know wool should be any any item of clothing. Um, when you're talking about a layering situation. Um, that is directly next to the skin should more often than not be wool um, that can be new wool it can be virgin wool there although they are kind of itchy and um, but like merino wool i think is probably um the the most common form of wool we're going to see in outdoor clothing particularly if you're talking about like high performance modern kind of outdoor clothing um, more often than not, you're going to find that those things, whether they're socks or base layers or hats, even and gloves, are going to be made from merino wool. So, mm. like Jeremia said, it's got it's better at retaining its heat, um, or better at insulating you when it's wet than cotton would be. That's not to say that it will continue to perform the same regardless of whether or not it's wet, but it will be better um, than cotton would be at retaining heat um if if it does if it does happen to get damp or wet and also it doesn't it doesn't smell so much so it's like uh you know you can wear merino wool for a lot longer than you would be able to wear like a cotton t-shirt for example um it's faster to dry and it's better at moisture wicking so you it's easier for your body to expel heat through uh, merino and not necessarily sweat in the let's say the armpits of your of your uh, base layers for example I mean, I I hundred uh, percent know that that is true, but right. merino smells. Yeah, it does. It, if I mean, it doesn't smell, you haven't worn it long enough. <laughs> okay. That's, that's that's like if it doesn't smell, you wash your clothes too more often. often than I do. I guess. Okay. Okay. So you you I, you you don't you don't buy the it doesn't smell no matter how long you wear it. No, like it the, the 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 statement that it doesn't smell, then then you're 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 not spending enough time in your base layers doing activities where you might get your heat up. It's like merino definitely will smell. It cotton smells a lot worse, or any like nylon or modern space uh, material swell, uh, smells a lot worse, but merino will smell whether it's socks, base layers, like uh, bottom layers or mid layer, top layer, it all will smell. Eventually. 
I know what that says says says, says about me. That's that's <laughs> that's for, for someone else to to right. uh, judge. Yeah. But all I can say is, it smells. It can smell. It, yeah. I mean, I know I've worn I've worn base layers for a week on a trip, and they've been fine. So, I mean, obviously, after a month or so, it's probably best to to wash them. I think the 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 mantra there, or the, I suppose the the idea is that it will take a lot longer for merino mm. it will stay fresher for longer particularly if you're on an extended trip i mean you can only you can wear a cotton t-shirt for like less than a day and it'll start to stink on you on a trip if you're canoeing or paddling or walking whatever whereas uh i think merino can can kind of and it's not because it's better at like absorbing the smell of sweat it's basically because you simply won't sweat as much in them because they're better at wicking moisture away and they dry faster and um, at least that's my understanding of it correct me if i'm wrong on that Jeremias. i'm pretty sure that you are uh what's it called wrong <laughs> correct no <laughs> quite 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 correct in that like i mean that's probably another rabbit hole that you can that we can fall into on on why it doesn't smell and i'm just gonna say that you're right and then if if uh, one of the listeners know that we are wrong in that yes. claim we're very happy to hear why but that's not that that's going into a rabbit hole into right 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 what we're going to talk about today well, that, anyway. yeah that's my understanding of it at least but i think on a yeah. on, on a i suppose just for speaking on base layers and maybe just wrap it up um on the base layers for now i think the the intention of your base layers is to insulate you without making you sweat too much um and if they do sweat, then they should be able to dry fast and you're not going to lose too much heat through due to evaporation like we spoke about. Um, so base layers are the closest, uh, like the name suggests, the closest layer next to your skin. They're the base for the rest of your uh, clothing layering system to to kind of be stacked on. And I think the most important thing to consider here throughout these um, different layering systems, it's your clothing, is it's all about modularity. Like Yarmis was saying, no matter how cold it is outside, at a certain point, you're going to overheat from whatever activity you're doing. So what's important is to be able to figure out the best solution um, to cool your body down in that particular moment. Um, obviously, we can't say just take your jumper off or just take your jacket off because maybe it's raining or maybe that's not possible. But I think with a very with a core understanding of how your layering system is working, combined with a core understanding of the way in which different uh, heat retaining properties or heat loss properties work you can kind of decide for yourself in that situation it could be as simple as taking your hat off taking your hat and glove off if you're stopping for a cup of tea for example or taking your boots off if you're able to kind of put your feet up and chill out for a bit you know maybe that'll help you cool down so um so but what's important here is like i said the the clothing that you're wearing should be modular so i think yermes you had this beautiful big fjallraven jacket that you guys wear the big uh, padded insulated uh down fjallraven jackets and i believe you told yeah, me that you had expedition jackets right and i think you told me that you had purchased that from someone who like had lived had bought it because they live in a city and it was just essentially too warm for their environment and they got rid of it um yeah, and it, so we both uh, bought them at a at a secondhand sort of auction site for, I think the total was under hundred pounds, hundred euros, wow, ten thousand Swedish. Insane, dude! That's such Where, an insane. And, and it is. I mean, they, they they come up every now and then, 
for a very good price in and and like and that's more from like a they are they come in and every now and then as a fashion statement i guess in 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 bigger cities and they do work very very well they are fantastic packets for what they are designed for but i can imagine that someone uh that lives in a city that wears that one will walk with it with the zipper open with the jacket fully open most of the time because it is just too warm for the climate that they're in absolutely now i remember the year i lived in in stockholm um canadian goose jackets were really big everybody had calendar goose jackets um which for people who don't know they're uh well they're a canadian company um goose down insulated jackets that are designed for like forest park rangers in canada they're not designed for you kind of walk into the pub in the morning or you know in the evening but i think what i was going where i was going with that was that um somebody like that is obviously not thinking about the layering of their clothing and it's often a trap that i see people falling into um in the city not just out in the woods um winter's coming up and they're thinking oh i don't have a warm enough jacket i'm going to be cold this winter i got to go out and buy myself a big ass jacket that it's going to keep me warm and i think what people tend to do is they over um compensate in terms of what they think they need um and then what happens is then all you've got under that then is like a t-shirt or a jumper or something you're throwing this massive jacket on and then you're sweating and then but you can't take the jacket off because all you've got on under it is a t-shirt and or a jumper and which is not warm enough for the space you're in so you're either too warm in your huge jacket sitting on a bus or you're going to be cold because you're taking it off and it's not warm enough for you to be out without it and i think the the better solution for that and that goes for everybody is 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 the layering is maybe buying a nice thin uh you know um insulating layer whether that's a nice thin fleece or whether that's a nice thin um like maybe a patagonia down jacket you know like the really lightweight ones and then over that something something simple like a a barber uh wax cotton jacket something that's going to protect you from the wind that isn't going to sap your cold air from your body and that would be a far more effective setup for the winter in any city or any woods and rather than a massive jacket because if you get too warm, you can remove one of those layers, allow some of the heat to get away from your body, and then you can put that kind of outer layer back on again and things like that. So modularity, in my opinion, is far more important than buying a massive jacket for the winter. I agree to 100%. And uh, like it, it, is, it is easy for us to sit and talk about this and give advice and all of these things but like when it when it all comes down to is of course understanding but it, in my opinion it is one of these things that needs to be experienced you can experience it you don't have to come up to the arctic to experience being cold in winter and, and how layering works but it is about trying out what works for you for the different activities i myself i wear a different type of layering system depending if i'm out hunting moose in a stand or if i'm walking in the forest to sort of try and find some capercaillie or grouse or if i'm driving a dog sled or if i'm on the snowmobile like there's all these different activities there are a few things that i that like the base layer mid layer and one of the thermal layers and then the top thermal layer that i keep the same but everything else can fluctuate back and forth 
So just as it is very often talked about how kit, cooking systems, water bottles, everything should have a multi-purpose use. That's sort of how you have to think about clothing as well. Like it needs to be modular. And it, it, it not necessarily multi-purpose in the sense of you're going to use your uh, mittens as, I don't know, a hat. That, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. It's more <laughs> that it, 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 it needs to fit in with what you're doing so that you can be comfortable no matter what the weather is sort of throwing at you and which situation that you're in. And that comes with experience in the end. Yeah, of course. And so let's say, for example, if we if you were to give us an example, let's say your hunting setup, and um, what kind of considerations are you thinking about in that situation? And how does it differ from, say, going uh, dog sledding, for example? Uh, hunting now during fall. Uh, like I said earlier, we had snow this morning, so I would... Uh, consider it being a little bit more dry than it was a week ago so I would probably not wear a a uh, membrane membrane jacket because that doesn't allow my body to expel the the excess heat enough uh, it takes way too long to get so what like sorry so just similar to what we were talking about earlier about like um you getting wet from the inside because of your waterproof layers exactly so I wouldn't want to have a waterproof I wouldn't want to have waterproof layers really uh, in the temperature and conditions we have right now. If it would be different, like if it would be a week ago when it was raining, I would have put waterproof layer, but then I would have make sure that if and when I need to move, I either take off my jacket or I open up all the zips or I move slowly just to get through the woods without having to break a sweat too early. Because like I said before, I will start to sweat almost no matter what my clothing situation is. So it, it is about prolonging that uh, problem for as long as possible. Um, but if, 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 if we're talking dog sledding, that the, the, the basic setup is I do have three or four layers on my feet that includes two different type of boots i have about the same on my legs i have about five layers on my upper body i have two layers to three layers on my hands uh, above a balaclava and then a proper hat so it is a very modular system because when we're harnessing the dogs i almost strip down to everything so this is also where for me and for Hannah, we have learned which piece of clothing goes where. So we're, we're, we're wearing bib pants, uh, salopettes as our outer layer during winter, as our shell layer during winter. And they need to go far down so that we don't need to, so, so we don't have to take off our jacket, then start unzipping our bibs to get into the other layers. So the bib pants are part of the layering system, but they are very close to our body. So, so it, it, and, and yeah, when we're harnessing the dogs, it is not heavy, but it is a lot of walking back and forth. And if we would be wearing too many clothes, we would start off our, our dog trip by being sweaty. So then it is a, it takes time to get undressed, to get dressed, to get undressed, to do the dogs, uh, sort them out. You'll be a little bit cold. You'll, that, that's just something you have to deal with. Well, that once the dogs are on, you need to get dressed properly again. 
if you do get warm, you need to open up while you're driving. So you need to have uh, clothing that is suitable for that or feel comfortable um, managing your layers while you're doing an activity. When we stop, we need to put on our outer thermal layer, like the big fiat lemon jacket. And then we need to maintain that body heat as well when, when being out. And that's also where convection comes in of, of standing. So we have a ground pad that we can stand on so we're not standing on snow for two hours while we're cooking or something like that. So there's a lot. There, 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 there's definitely a lot of different nuances to it. Yeah, but modularity is the key. And the only thing, the best, the best way to do, the best way to learn is to expose yourself uh, within your framework of, of uh, your experience level and what you feel is safe. Expose yourself to the elements and figure out how to deal with the weather through your uh, layering system. No, I, I think that's a super, super interesting um and i i love hearing just the real kind of uh the nuances within very specific scenarios that you're talking about there and stuff that maybe necessarily people don't think about and it's also i think we talked about this at a another uh, episode we did earlier the mental aspect of dealing with cold is very important as well like you have we've, we've had multiple guests that have been very wary about getting uh cold and they have the sort of attitude that they will be cold no matter what so they might have arrived here at our place we have clothing that we give to our guests uh they might have they might have arrived here with clothing from another company that is the exact same boots for example and they express that they are cold that they're feeling worried and, th and things like that about it and then just giving them a pair of boots from our place even if they are the same or the same qualities and everything giving them that will be mentally comforting so being cold there's a huge difference in between being cool uh cold to the point where you might injure yourself and cold to the point where you have injured tissue and everything already so this cool area is often where we notice that people are struggling the most because people are usually, uh, usually very broad terms here now, people are usually uh, used to living in this sort of 18 to 22 degrees Celsius temperature in this sort of like very uh, controlled temperature life. So being cold being cool is a matter of mentally dealing with it but then also you, you need to understand about frostbites and things like that to be able to stop you from going from cool to cold where you can hurt yourself and cold to where you've have hurt you you've hurt yourself sure and i mean like just to kind of touch on frostbite there a little bit like that doesn't necessarily occur until around minus 35 degrees in like calm weather um so like you can be down minus 25, minus 30 uh, and feel like you're going to die, but like you're actually pretty OK. Like minus 30 is is cold and there is a risk of frostbite in that kind of um, kind of space where tissue will start to freeze pretty soon after that. But you can be freezing cold at minus 20, but be absolutely 
fine you know if if that's something that your your body is used to and i think that's about acclimatization as well you know people will somebody will freak out if they've never experienced that and they think that they're going to die when in actual fact like your body is is probably going to be fine if you're not exposed to that for too long um obviously we're not condoning standing out in minus 20 and just you know you will eventually uh damage your body but um but anything from like minus five to minus 15 is is pretty negotiable or pretty like you know manageable for any human body to deal with um i think it's just a matter of yeah like you said it's 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 perspective it's uh experience it's being used to that i mean even i mean i remember i i went through a period of taking cold showers every morning um so i would go alternate between hot showers and cold showers and it was something that i had to build up ra- like gradually it couldn't just it wasn't just like a matter of a flick of a switch because you know you nearly pa- you nearly pass out with the with the change in in temperature but and um, from hyperventilation but um the thing is like moving the dial gradually over a course or a period of time is uh is obviously gonna be a better way of dealing with this now obviously if you're only coming up to the arctic for a weekend or something and you're not really used to those things you're, it's going to take your body a long time to acclimatize but i found the three months that i was up there by the time i was leaving i was out shoveling snow and there like one of my tasks was to kind of clear the driveway the whole time uh, of snow and i was sometimes doing that in my t-shirt you know like no problem just out in the yard in minus 20 like shoveling snow in my t-shirt absolutely fine for the you know the half an hour or whatever it took me to do that but if you had told me two months before that to go stand out in my t-shirt i would have told you you were crazy you know yeah no like it, it it is of course within uh moderation it is a mental thing to deal with but that's where that's where experience comes in and uh, also trusting in the layering system if it is something that you've been sort of discussing with someone that might have more experience in then being cool and understanding that cool is uh, okay but then learning through experience of course and uh, uh, to see what your what type of signs your body is sending you when it comes to if you're getting hypothermia or having a buddy that is checking your face for frostbite because all of these like frostbite for example it can occur you don't feel when frostbite happens you you if if, if, if you're out by yourself you'll feel it uh, and you're not checking sort of feeling your face for example uh, you're gonna feel it when you come in and it starts to thaw. But if you, have, if you have a friend with you and you check each other's faces every now and then, you're you're able to see that, but you can't feel it, or I at least can't feel it. And the guests that we've had experience with, they haven't, they've never felt that they've gotten a frostbite until it's afterwards. Too, yeah, and I think just for a very obvious thing for us, but maybe for some people who aren't aware frostbite essentially is your this, this tissue in your face freezing so very much like you throw a steak in the freezer the tissue within that piece of meat in your freezer is frozen um and that's essentially what's happening to your fa- to your face your cheeks and anywhere that's kind of particularly fleshy or fatty um is going to be the first place to start freezing um so yeah so essentially what's happening is under your skin the tissue and the muscle under your skin is starting to essentially drop into freezing and it's like the 
yeah, the, the, the moisture within your skin is, is starting to freeze. So it's not a good place to be. No, but if you do end up in, in, in that place, the, one of the most, well, one, one thing that we, we tend to do, I guess, as humans is that we often want to move. We want to rub to get something warm, but ice, like if you, if you, if you've ever studied uh, what an ice crystal looks like, it is like a buttload of tiny little razor blades. So if you if you start if you if you start rubbing your cheeks with your hand, for example, you are um, risking of of bursting some blood vessels, for example, in your cheeks, and you might have a permanent bruise. So the way to deal with frostbite in your face. Uh, as that's the, the, the most common places that occur in my experience is you just have your own hands or a buddy's hands to put on the frostbite area and just warm it up by radiation <laughs> not by rubbing radiation exactly yeah. not by rubbing not by anything else than mm-hmm. touching it or holding a hand to it to let it warm up slowly exactly exactly yeah so um yeah so obviously like it's another thing that we can kind of talk about and i guess it's almost a whole episode in itself is is kind of cold injuries but it's definitely worth uh understanding the signs of those things and how we kind of prevent them another thing like you kind of touched on there was hypothermia and this it doesn't have to be freezing temperatures for people to start becoming hypothermic particularly if you're talking about uh in even in the summertime water activities if you're in swimming in the water and you come out and you sit and by by the lakeside and the temperature drops you can you can become hypothermic a lot easier than uh, than you think you can um so that is something that uh, you also need to be aware of or like aware of the signs of um just i guess not to get into too much details into it um but very simple signs are you know shaking if somebody's shaking uncontrollably that's essentially the body trying to heat itself and it can't um chattering teeth uh, people can also become very reclusive and, and quiet um, and non-kind of responsive to the rest of the group. If you see somebody kind of falling behind and starting to look very lethargic and tired and, and like not very responsive, that could be a very early sign of hypothermia. Um, and even just something as simple, that's a very early sign. So even s- something as simple as stopping, taking a break, drinking a warm cup of tea or something, it's probably enough in a situation like that to bring someone back um, kind of to a normal kind of body temperature. But yeah, I think very, very kind of briefly, um, it's also uh, good to understand those things. Because essentially what we're talking about with this clothing and layering is the prevention of these things, the prevention of cold injuries, mm. prevention of hypothermia, frostbite, um yeah and just and an exposure really to be honest on the very there, extreme certain end that, of... that we often that we often uh, see happen with um, guests that are coming here is everyone has probably well, probably a lot of people has seen photos of these big beautiful white eyelashes that some people get when they're out in the arctic like this right snow filled crystal filled eyelashes Mm -hmm. and that can definitely happen naturally without any sort of makeup or anything like anything like that that just as as i was telling about the lapland shower we call that a lapland Mm. makeup super boring but it's sort of (laughs) something for for guests to sort of relate to i guess Right, Uh, right but often when that happens or almost exclusively when that happens is that this person has used 
mascara of some sort that is water-based. So we're dealing with, of course, minus degrees, water freezes, and that concept often makes sense to people. But what, what people might not consider is that their makeup, face cream, or whatever the products that they're using might be water-based. So if you're, imagine that you're going out in minus 10 degrees and you're, I don't know, driving a snowmobile, for example, and you're, then all of a sudden you have the wind chill on top of that, so it might be minus 35 degrees on the exposed skin, and you have a water-based product covering your whole cheeks and your eyelashes and whatever it might be, you're running a very high risk of getting a frostbite. And it, 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 it is one of those things that um, we would wish almost that the tour operators, uh, the ones that we're working and selling tours to, might just give a little note into the guest sort of information package about the trip is these things. Because a lot of uh, frostbites and problems can be prevented by people if people would be informed to not use water-based makeup or face right. creams or whatever right. it might be that they're using. Right. Even washing your face in the morning could have an effect on it. Sure. We, our, 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 our skins have a natural layer of fat on them. So washing that away in the morning, you're getting a completely dry, exposed skin, and you're going out in a very dry environment, having wind chill, having wind hit it. You're starting to sweat maybe. Uh, some sweat beads are running down your face and that is completely exposed skin. So it's not that sort of natural, I'm making air quotes now, natural uh, layering system for your face. So you have water directly on your skin. Yeah, no, but it's, it's a really good point. And I think that was one of the things that I was told as well when I was up there. Um, and it's kind of almost feels counterintuitive to like not wash your face in the morning because removing that layer of like, kind of uh, natural insulator against your skin, the oils in your skin, uh, actually preventing your face from from kind of freezing. Um, and then obviously washing your face and maybe even not drying it properly then again. And, and the same, it's actually something that I did want to ask you about because I, uh, I had a beard when I was up there and it was one of the most problematic things that I noticed um, was that particularly if I was wearing like a neck buff or a face, uh, you know, covering my mouth, that a lot of my moisture was getting caught in my, in my beard and it was freezing. And then my beard was actually like turning to ice and it was making my face colder than it probably needed to be. Um, what's your opinions on clean shaven versus kind of a uh, bearded face? Obviously you're going to lose a huge heap of man points for shaving your face uh, <laughs> completely. But uh, yeah, what is there? Is there sort of a recommendation around that? A general recommendation for facial hair? Might be. I'm actually not uh, invested in. In uh, I do have a beard, but I'm not invested in um, the existence of of it during winter or not. Mm-hmm. But my main main problem is what you're saying as well. Um, that when you're breathing out, you create moisture. And if you have a bandana or buff that you pull up over, that tend to get stuck to your beard. And when you're pulling it off, it hurts badly because you're pulling off pieces of your beard, not tufts, but small strands. 
and that's very uncomfortable but it's pinchy. Like other, other than that like it, it's pinchy other than that it's um i mean if you do get ice in your beard of course you could lose some uh, heat through that but it's also a wind blocker like it creates an extra layer that's true i don't that's true. I, I, I i've never had a problem either or um there's probably someone that has done good research on that but yeah i'm sure there to, is i mean in, 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 in that way it's like to each their own and as long as you are aware that frostbite can happen under your beard that your body can't see um because of your beard and that you might have some yeah issues with with that do as you please yeah yeah no i guess i guess um that's true i mean as i said the whole time i was up there i had facial hair as i almost always do but i was wondering if there was any sort of uh sort of go-to for that like there is with like you know washing your face and stuff but i guess yeah i'm sure there's 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 a there's something written about it somewhere i'm just trying to think of like shackleton or like tom crean and stuff like they more often than not have pretty big beards did they not uh antarctic explorers yeah Yeah. i don't know that 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 was all that that also looked cool yeah well obviously that's what i'm saying i mean do i care that i'm a little bit colder uh the offset of that is that i'm gonna look like a baby without my facial hair um i'm gonna i'm gonna be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's a tough choice, to man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, kind of slightly off track there a little bit, but it's interesting to kind of talk about the potential hazards of um, what can take place if we don't kind of layer up properly. But I think, should we move on to uh, to mid layers? Um, just on like a very kind of, uh, not to kind of dwell too much or too long on it, but just to kind of talk about the purposes of a mid layer and what it is that it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um. So, so much like the, the kind of the base layers. Obviously, the next one up from that is your mid layer. This can be a fleece. It can be uh, a a lighter jacket. It can be a shirt. It can be something that isn't directly next to the skin, but its main job is to sort of trap those warm pockets of air, um, between the layers, like we spoke about. Um, the layer between your base layer and your mid layer and the layer between your outer layer and your mid layer. There, these are like three layers of, of warm air that we're sort of doing. So again, very much like a sleeping bag, the, your clothing is not designed to warm you up. This is not their, their job. Their job is to retain heat that you're generating yourself with your body. Um, if you are a naturally cold, like if you're, if you run colder than someone who's like maybe a little bit thicker skin and runs a bit warmer, then you're not going to generate as much body heat as someone like that. Or if you have much, a bigger engine, um, you know, in your body, then you're going to probably be running a bit warmer, but generally no matter kind of what size body you are, the, the job of your clothing is to retain the heat that your body is already generating and also to stop it being lost from outer elements. So the, the wind and the rain and things like that. Um, so, so a mid layer. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's to be honest for me, and the mid layer is something that I probably put the least amount of sort of effort or thought into and um, to my own detriment, probably sometimes. Um, but I don't really think about the mid layer too much. I think a lot about the jacket. I think a lot about my base layers. Um, I don't know how, what, how do you feel about kind of that area of the clothing kind of setup, Jeremias? You know, I, uh, mid layer is the most important for me in, in what we do. That's okay. sort of yeah. 
is what's making it or breaking it for me. Um, base layer is given. Like I live in a base layer from uh, early September where moose hunting season starts to midsummer in mid June, roughly. And that that's nothing that I ever necessarily think about too much. But mid layers is where I am able to decide how much body heat I will trap between me and the elements. So jackets, of course, like all these outer layers, they are they are important, but they are also a part. They're also only the last defense or against the elements, if you will. Um, but everything in between base layer and uh, shell layer is where, for me, is what matters. So that's where my biggest sort of depending on what activity I'm doing. That's where most of the changes and uh, adaptation happens that's interesting what would be your sort of go-to for sort of uh, a standard dog trip because i i know you have like uh you you kind of tend to move be kind of steer more towards like wool jumpers and things don't you as opposed to like fleeces and things um yeah. is there a reason for that uh not necessarily like um, i've always had fleeces and things like that but the wool jumper like the one, the one that i use the most is one that hannah uh, knitted for me so of course it has emotional value but it's also a bit felted so it uh, is very good at keeping wind away as well so even 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 in mid layers i try to think about wind as a factor because even if you have a really good outer layer jacket that is quote windproof if you need to open it for whatever reason you're getting too warm and things like that it is good in my opinion especially if you're driving a snowmobile or driving dogs or you're skiing in the mountains or whatever it might be where you can't necessarily control the wind but you have to deal with your body heat and and have to to mm -hmm dress accordingly having something else as a windproof layer in my opinion is a fairly smart idea so that you don't lose too much heat as soon as you take off your outer layer your shell layer right sure sure so mid layers for me is 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 really the key to everything yeah the, the shell layer of course is important but it's almost to the point where throw on anything that will protect the mid layers is going to be good enough yeah no that's that's an interesting uh kind of perspective on it and i probably should spend a little bit more time uh sort of modulating my mid layers because it's it's usually just like you said like it's a, a patagonia fleece or it's a now, now that's not to say that i've neglected the mid layer but it's not something that i think about as much as what jacket i'm wearing or what uh, what base layer i'm wearing and things um it's usually just like, yeah, like a Patagonia fleece or maybe a wool jumper or, um, yeah, even like my Garpeath and hoodie or something like that. And then on top of that then is sort of, I think, funny enough, like the outer layer is probably where I spend the most time thinking about whether it's a windy environment, whether it's a wet environment, whether it's, um, you know, going to be super warm. Like it's something that I I kind of spend a lot of time thinking about. I probably have more jackets and like outer layers as in terms of clothing categories than I think anything else. Um, mm. so you know, so it's probably something that I should probably uh think a little bit more about. Uh, saying that though, I do have a lot of um, a wool shirts like uh, American like wool rich um like my Alaska shirt um is probably my favorite one of my favorite items of clothing ever and 
like you said, like the wall, it's a slightly felted wool and it, yeah, it's really good at keeping the, the wind out. Um, in the kind of autumn time, I can almost wear it like just as almost as a jacket. It's like slightly oversized. So I can put like, uh, I could probably put like another fleece under it and it, it's really good at keeping the wind out. Um, so yeah, so wool shirts are also, uh, something to consider in this layer but in my in my in my opinion like you can never go wrong with uh wool as a choice of of uh material for your clothing whether it's even if it's outer layer clothing like often if i if i don't need to wear my um bib pants i was talking about earlier the shell pants mm-hmm. I just wear a pair of uh, surplus military, I think it's Swedish military um, wool pants, felted wool pants. Um, They're big enough to fit good layers in under. They are wind resistant enough for to be comfortable and they are um, really good at, they're really good at letting me uh, managing my heat since it's not a solid layer of either windproofing or waterproofing so as long as i just brush off the snow from my pants before i go into somewhere so i can keep them dry they are plenty good enough uh for yeah just just as an outer layer as well in winter but in your personal preference finances whatever it might be uh you can't get wool for example but wool is always a good option no matter what you're doing yeah i mean the only downside like you said is it is expensive and um, but if you are kind of if if you're investing and you're kind of putting the research in then yes that's going to be your number one option but something like a patagonia fleece or something or any fleece really it's not it's not a deal breaker because there's cotton in there or because there's polyester in there i think in that particular layer in the middle layer it's less for me it, correct me if i'm wrong Jeremy, but in my opinion um, it's less important about the materials and more important about their kind of their properties. Um, so I would be less worried about wearing something that was 100% cotton, for example, as a mid layer, rather than it being like a base layer close to my skin. It, you know, it's 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 not a deal breaker in that regard um, in terms of material choices for your mid layers. For me personally, the only the only time I would wear anything that is cotton based i guess is uh, a as a shell layer has like a polycotton blend yeah. rack or jacket or something like that but other right. than that yeah i tend to stay quite far away from it just from i don't know i i, I, I found i found other options that that i rather uh, invest time and money into uh using i've seen those uh i was gonna say i've seen those wool those swedish wool trousers you have i think it might have been the very first time i ever met you uh, you were guiding someone on like as like a personal like uh, snowshoe walk or something, yeah. and you literally looked like you'd walked in off, you know, the set of the Revenant or something. You had these like wool pants on, this like big woolly jumper, this big huge red beard, and like these old school skis. I was like, who is this fucking badass? <laughs> <laughs> so the uh oh yeah it was that uh that uh guy from london that had a swedish girlfriend that wanted to do a ski trip that's yeah, right i mean you uh you definitely get the the retro cool factor with wool pants and um, so if that's something that you guys are uh if aesthetic choices are something that you're considering uh the swedish wool pants will make you look like instantly make you look like a, a badass so if that's also worth considering but if it, as, as, long, as long as it's 
cold and dry out, yes. those wool plants you, pants you can find at a surplus store is amazing. They are fantastic for, for the value of the price and everything. Like they are really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then I suppose just really quickly before we kind of uh, move on to our kind of top picks or preferences in, in terms of like specific clothing choices. Um, just really quickly, I think we pretty much covered it already, but um, kind of the job of the outer layer. So we've talked about base layers, we've talked about mid layers. And what is the job of an outer layer? Um, for me, like you said, it's basically your first or last, depending on what way you look at it, defense against the elements. Um, and more often than not, this this layer should either be depending on the environment or the situation that you find yourself in somewhat waterproof or water resistant. So there's the clothing under doesn't get soaked. Um, but also wind resistant because people, people get hung up on waterproofness and water resistance on their clothing. So often, in my opinion, particularly with jackets, but in my opinion, it's something that they don't, people don't think about enough is as wind resistance and windproofness because that is such a huge factor in retaining your body heat. Um, for example, like a, a polycotton, you know, whether that's Garpitan or whether that's Fjallraven or something, like their smocks, um, they're light and they're they're not they're not particularly like insulated or anything. And people, um, through maybe lack of experience or lack of I don't know what it is, but they'll often pass over those things because they don't take a box for them in terms of like, oh well, it's not waterproof or it's not blah 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 was like it doesn't it's not supposed to be waterproof it's supposed to be a layer that's stopping the wind from penetrating your body and sapping all that heat away from you um now of course if it's lashing rain and i would recommend maybe adding a a a a poncho over that or even removing that like kind of polycotton layer and replacing it with something like an arcteryx or a gore-tex or something like that at least for the short period of time that you're going to be caught in the shower um, but then I would recommend replacing that with a polycotton, something that's a little bit more breathable. So you're not going to be sweating from the inside and getting wet from the inside through a, through Gore-Tex or something like that. But um, yeah, that's kind of my understanding of the intention of a an outer layer. Um, maybe it's different for you, Jeremias, or I mean, obviously you're dealing with much more often than that, probably a lot drier conditions than I would be used to, particularly uh, in the colder months. Yeah, like for me, uh, the as I, as I said before, like the mid layers is the key to to uh, if I'm gonna be warm or not. And of course, the outer layer is a very important part of that whole modular system that we've been talking about with clothing. But it it, it that that one can be at least in winter when it's dry, that one can be everything from a ventile jacket to, for example, a membrane jacket uh, that is fully possible or to just have some sort of a polycotton jacket or even have a the Fjelldraven Big Down jacket as a outer layer. Like all of these things are, are, are um, possible to use. Yeah, definitely. It all depends on which activity that you're doing. But for the sake of sort of my modular uh, thinking during winter, I at the moment I do have a ventile jacket that is um, more or less windproof that I'm very happy with. And it's not waterproof, but during those times when it's like properly so that I need a waterproof jacket, it's either early season or very late in the season where sort of uh, 
the modularity of, of my clothing system is not really fully set for winter yet or the world is upside down and it's raining for christmas and that hopefully that doesn't happen but those are the three sort of cases where i would use a fully waterproof jacket over a a windproof wind resistant ventile polycotton type of uh, outer layer yeah yeah and i think yeah you kind of touched on ventile there and that would be one of my choices as well i think we're probably on the same page because we have the same jacket the plus minus null um uh, ventile jacket which both dermius and i use and i i absolutely love it it's my go-to i wear it every day here in sweet in finland as well um and i think the thing with ventile is that i was only noticing it today we were in a cafe having coffee after we had been out and i hung my jacket up on the rack and it it was a combination of it being quite cold but then it's also like a really wet day here so the when i hung the jacket up it, it was essentially retained its shape it was very rigid and it was very like it almost looked like there was like an invisible man in it um, and when it was hung up and the reason why it's done that is because the ventile material is like its ability to absorb the cold and the wet and then contract and get harder and tougher as a material to combat um the environment that it finds itself in and very much like the way waxed cotton would i always think of ventile as like a an advanced version of waxed cotton mm. that you don't need to w keep waxing it but it's essentially like a, a high-tech version of that is ventile in that it's able to adapt to the environment that it finds itself in so whether it's a damp day whether it's a warmer day it's going to be a little bit more breathable if it's a very cold day the material is going to very much like close up and become quite quite effective at blocking wind ventile as a as a material is an extremely reliable um choice for outdoor clothing both as a um windproof a kind of outer layer um and also fairly waterproof like you said it's not completely waterproof it's it's water resistant um but it kind of plays a middle ground i think which is really nice between let's say gore-tex and polycotton wherein it's quite breathable when it needs to be but it will also clench up and be pretty reliable when it comes to being caught in rain um so if your budget allows i would really highly recommend looking into any sort of ventile products um for your kind of outer layers yep um, so that's my nice. sales pitch on ventile <laughs> <laughs> no it, it, it is a very nice material like uh, i really enjoy it like i i personally i don't like in 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 not not the off uh, not in winter like the for me off season everything that's not winter is or fall is off season uh i would always choose like a waterproof layer over a some sort of a hybrid just because of how miserable it is to be out for a full day or two days uh, if it's raining a lot but ventile is a very good uh, material for winter use it's very nice yeah i love it I, that ventile the the plus minus null um just for people that are wondering again if there's notes on this we'll put it in the description um we've kind of worked with them in the past they're a really cool company very small company based in sweden and all their ventile comes from offcuts and um, so it's recycled material so they're a very sustainable company as well and uh, i'd highly recommend 
them if anybody's looking at um kind of investing in a really good jacket uh, for this kind of uh, you know activities but i think um we're kind of already doing it but maybe we can move into our kind of preferences and our top picks um for our kind of various layers um if if that's something that you'd be yeah, comfortable with kind of moving sure. into now yours yeah so yeah so again like i said the 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 ventile yeah uh plus minus null jacket um i mean for me that that jacket's what's really good about it as well is it's it's simplicity um it's only got two big pockets on the front on their boat on kind of on your chest and they're kind of two-way zippers so you can never you're never kind of fumbling because one of the things that i noticed when i was up there with you uh Yeremias, was that when you're out and you're wearing big gloves and your hood is all the way up so you're visible you're you can't really look down at your body and kind of see where your stuff is. You're kind of quite restricted to a very, almost like a horse blinkers sort of vision. And when you've got your hood up, when you're in the Arctic, combine that with having very little dexterity because you're wearing very thick gloves. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to open a zipper or trying to find the right pocket. That's something in. Um, and for me, the, one of the advantages of that, um, uh, plus minus null jacket is that there is only two big pockets and they're huge like you could fit you could easily fit like a textbook in in one you know they're they're really good big jack and perfect for like big gloves or for a hat and things like that so that's that's one of the reasons why um that's on my list um maybe have you got anything to add to that Jeremy? i mean the wool jumper that hannah made me is definitely sort of my top pick during winter right. um is she taking orders <laughs> no no i don't think so she uh nah. is, is she gonna make one for herself i'm not sure no but that one that one is very nice it's, it's such a versatile um piece of clothing for me at least but it is it, it like it is hard choosing one thing for me when it comes to winter clothing because it is so dependent on what i'm doing and what my day looks like and what the trip is that we're going on like if we were to the we, we went to the mountains uh last winter to drive dogs and then that clothing system looked different compared to the one that i would use here at home based on what weather we would have um, but my 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 main thing i guess with winter clothing i'll stray away a little bit from from choosing a product and just general thinking like everything so i I have winter clothing and summer clothing if you will uh, off-season clothing because winter clothing for me no matter what it is is bigger in size than my summer clothing so anything my my my, my way of thinking is that anything that can constrict um blood flow in any sort of way should i I'll, i try and eliminate that as much as possible so that goes with like my you saw you saw the the vental jacket that i have it's i think it's two or three sizes too big for me if i would wear it in summer but that is it allows me to give or to have a lot of layers in under so and that's like a a a jacket that is comfortable to wear for example for that plus minus null jacket even if it is that big, that's a good piece of clothing. So clothing that can be comfortable to wear that even if they're big is 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 good. A lot of people choose to wear anoraks when we're in, in winter. And I can assume uh, without knowing, of course, 
that it might be because it is easy to have a very large anorak that won't necessarily be a problem for you. It will be longer. It will hang further down on your on uh, by by your legs, but it won't be necessarily like a jacket with an awkward zipper and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, so, yeah. I suppose any, any anything yeah. that gives you a possibility of of wearing a lot of layers, so in size is is good. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good rule of thumb. Um, I suppose my only, I suppose the reason why I was kind of going through some of my favorites um, was kind of more to do with recommendations. If somebody or people are looking into sort of trying to build a a setup for the winter, but not necessarily knowing kind of where to start, I think yeah, definitely giving a few rules of thumb is is really really useful for that. So reg- so it's a good point. You're you're right. So regardless of whether it's a a a smock right by Garpeath and or Fjallraven or I don't know who else is there. There's uh, Ridgeline, you know, there's all of these people make cotton, poly cotton smocks. And, you know, I suppose it doesn't really matter what brand you go with as long as it kind of fits that criteria of it being big enough to fit layers under that it's going to be a good wind, a shell against the wind. So yeah, for sure. There's, there's definitely kind of criteria that need to be ticked off there. Um, but yeah, that was that was the only reason why I was kind of like picking specific products. Got it. Um, but then a, you know. a good, thick, big wool jumper. That will always be what I am using. Whether whether it's the one that Hannah made me or something else, but that is one of my absolute go-to uh, pieces of clothing during winter, just because of the. The above reasons, like it is big enough to uh, have multiple layers underneath it, but with the outer jacket that is also very big, it's not too big that it will constrict any blood flow, or you know, not trap enough uh, air in between me and the outer layer. So good solid wool jumper because you can use that all year round as well not just in winter yeah definitely and i think wool as well is different in that some wool jumpers will be quite airy some will be quite closely knit so i think the the thicker knit or closer knit that you can mm. get the better that it's going to be at retaining kind of heat to you we're we're lucky in ireland in the sense that wool jumpers is is very much a specialty um so for people who maybe don't have a, a hannah in their lives to to make them a beautiful uh jumper like yourself um I think uh, look into some Irish brands. There's a lot of really good Irish wool um, brands out there that make beautiful thick wool jumpers that are designed for for shitty Irish weather. So um, look into them. Um, also, Devald, which are a Norwegian company, and they're also really really good. And they're I have one myself, a super thick wool jumper. Um, and then on the Swedish side, there's a company called Roik Superwear. Um, also have one of their jumpers they have a really nice wool jumper that is um economically sort of like viable as well because they don't bleach the wool so it doesn't uses very little water to to produce it and also they don't ship them they they um or rather they don't ship them anywhere you can only buy it directly from them so they're cutting cutting out transport and middleman costs um, and environmental factors within that so it's a really if you're looking for like an environmentally conscious wool jumper um i would check out Roik superwear mm. i believe that they just got a, a new stock of their jumpers in in the last kind of uh 
last week or so. Now they have a, an unbleached wool version, but I, as far as I can see, their new versions are also, uh, they're not necessarily unbleached, but they're, they're, they come in different colors, but a really, really good jumper. If you're looking, if you're from Sweden and you're looking for something. Um, but as I said, uh, as Jeremy has said, like a nice thick wool jumper that's going to be good at retaining heat next to your body is is a really good thing to have um, in the winter. Yep, for sure. And then I think just lastly, which we kind of touched on a little bit, but it would be interesting to kind of talk a little bit about. Um, and it's something that I think I neglected um, a little bit. Well, I didn't for very long. I neglected it for about a week and then got pretty savvy, uh, is the right kind of hand protection. Um, so the different types of gloves and very much like your clothing, um, gloves should be should be layered and modular also. Gloves um, and feet, those are two things that often are neglected when it comes to modularity. But feet, feet you know, people are often talking about two pairs of socks and things like that. And that is, that is, that is a good start. Um, it might be enough for some people. We're all different in, in the, how our bodies uh, retain heat and, and everything. Um, but for me, I mentioned, like, for my, for, for, for example, if it's really cold out and we're out driving dogs or if we're out for a very long time, I have a pair of wool socks with a wool liner and a wool boot and then an overshoe. So it's four. Sometimes I have two pairs of socks. So it's four or five layers that I have on my feet, depending on what we're doing. Um, and that goes with, with my hands as well. Like, I often wear a pair of um, the Hestra felt guide glove and that that i can use even even with those that are fairly uh, easy to work with sometimes i have to take off my my gloves to deal with x y and c so then then i'm not wearing anything but those gloves are a two-layered system so wool liner and then the uh, leather outer glove on top of that but if it's really cold like mittens is the number one thing that you can use when it's cold your fingers finger, finger gloves has have the problem of your fingers all being separated so they can't warm each other with mittens they will be able to warm each other um, so that's something that i might use as I, I, I might have a pair of mittens with me inside of my jacket that i can just pull out if those finger gloves are not keeping me warm enough but on top of that i have a pair of big mittens that no matter what I'm wearing on my hands, I can always put my hands in the mittens. I won't be able to do very fine tasks with them at all, but I will guaranteed be very warm and cozy with them on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, it, like I said, it was something that I was not, um, I should have been smarter about, but I guess it comes to it with experience as well. I also have those uh, Lars Felt uh, Hester gloves that you're talking about. Um, and the advantage of those, as you were mentioning, is that there's a leather outer, which is going to be waterproof, obviously. So handling snow and stuff, they're not, it's not going to soak through. Um, and then the wool liner on the inside is really thick felted wool that can be removed and they can be washed separately. So you can you can use the gloves as just as a leather glove on the outer, although they might be a little bit too big for you. Um, but you can also wear them with a wool liner on the inside. And what I tend to do is actually under that, then wear a very fine Merino wool glove liner from Rab. Um, just like super thin, almost like rubber gloves in terms of their thickness. Um, and they will go inside 
Mylar's felt gloves. And then, like Yermia said, over that, the mittens are always going to be uh, a godsend. Even with those three layers that I had without the mittens, my hands were still freezing cold on the snowmobiles sometimes to the point where I couldn't feel my fingers, despite the fact that I had the leather glove, the wool liner and the merino liner under that, my hands were still freezing. And as soon as you put those mittens on, they're both going to protect against more wind protection. But then also, yeah, like like you said, Jeremias, your your fingers are together and they're warming each other up then that way easier. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like uh, hands and feet are the um, major things that will be uh, in risk of heat loss by conduction. Because you're holding on to something or you're standing on something. So it's very important to layer those things. And and the body works in 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 a, in a very smart way that it will try and keep its core temperature and the core being from the hips upwards, uh the center body mass really try to keep that warm. So the reason why you often get fingers cold and toes cold before anything else is because it's it's not pushing out as much warm blood to the to the to your outer extremities to make sure that your core is staying warm. So if you're if you can keep your hands and toes warm, the rest of your body will be warm because you have a, a efficient blood flow throughout your whole system. If you can keep your outer extremities warm, same thing with your head. Keeping keeping all of these outer extremities that are far away from the core, the most important part of your body. If the, if that's warm, you're warm. In my experience, I think for the for the mittens, um, just a small tip for people: if you can get, you can get modular ones, um, from like military surplus websites. I know that Military Mart do Swedish ones, and very much like the Lars Feld's gloves, they yeah. have a wool liner and a leather outer. And the advantage of them as well is yeah. that because they're designed for soldiers, there's a trigger finger, so the mitten isn't entirely all all your fingers are contained in the one kind of pouch, so to speak. You've got like your index finger is slightly separated from the rest of them by its own sort of um, little, little, what would you call it? Finger hole. Um, and that's obviously for when soldiers in the winter are wearing mittens, they still need to be able to shoot their gun while retaining the mittens. So if you're looking for something that you want a little bit of dexterity with, but you also need good, I recommend uh the military surplus ones and they also i believe they go quite far up the arm yeah they'll go like way past the wrist so you'll you'll retain a lot of heat in your wrists as well because uh, funny enough that's also somewhere that people lose a lot of heat from is their wrists um if their gloves aren't like sufficiently kind of protecting and kind of go far enough up the wrist and you're you're kind of you're basically heat is going to escape from anywhere in your body that uh, is exposed um and it's small places like ankles like wrists like your lower back your neck you know places that your ears places that people don't really think about where heat is going to escape from and you'll feel it like if you're on a you're on a snowmobile there's nothing worse than having like you know if you're not properly tucked in and your t-shirt or something under it you'll feel the cold in that exact spot where there's just like there's heat trying to escape or there's cold trying to get in um so so wrists is also something to to kind of pay attention to but that is that is uh, easier said than done all of these things is um yeah you yeah. you end up learning the hard way whether you like it or not for sure i mean look 
there is a shit ton of information in that. We were at two hours now, and I really un, like I totally appreciate the fact that we're bombarding you with a shit ton of stuff here, and it's the reason why I'm hopefully going to try and um, include in this episode a a word document that you guys can kind of peruse after this or while you're listening if you're kind of sitting at your laptop or something like that. But overall, in general, like Jeremy has just said, I think you'll learn these things the hard way or hopefully not too hard away. You know, you don't want to be putting yourself into shit situations to realize that your, your kit doesn't work. But um, regardless of all the technical things and the way like the convection and the radiation and all that stuff, it's not rocket science really at the end of the day sometimes. You know, sometimes all of this stuff feels complicated, but in practice, when you actually get out there, um, it can feel quite uh, intuitive. Whether you're in, like, it almost doesn't matter where in the world you are, like, up up here where where I live and in the region where you live now, Porig, like, the cold is more severe than, say, in Central Europe or maybe in Ireland. But all of the ways that we can lose heat is still applicable no matter where you're in the world. So it is not unique to the Arctic on how you should how you should think about dressing and the modularity and everything. The main thing with the Arctic is that you need to find a way to trap more warm air in between you and the elements. And how you do that, it is up to you and your experience to figure that out there's a lot of people there's a lot of resources that will be able to tell you x y and z but just like with anything doesn't matter if it's a tent or anything like that you can read someone that has the most glorious review of 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 this one thing you buy it and then you realize oh this was not for me and the only way to realize that is to step into that puddle and get wet feet like there's no other way to do that so to start off with something is to learn the different reasons you might get cold. And if you're going to the Arctic, try the stuff that you have. Maybe get a big, thick wool jumper, like we were talking about earlier, about different things that we like to use. Maybe go that route, but in the end of the day, you're the one that is going to learn the best way how you work rather than someone telling you. That's really well put, man. And I I couldn't have said it better myself. And I think... um, just i suppose a shameless plug one of the best ways is probably going to be on our course next year um so if you've listened to this and it's kind of strict stricken a chord with you and you've kind of uh thought that it's you know an environment that you would be interested in trying to uh, experience um and maybe learn some skills and you know maybe try some out try try some skills that you've already um kind of that you already know or it's something that you want to learn that's new or something specific that you want to kind of talk to myself or Jeremias about that could be about clothing it could be about you know general arctic living obviously Jeremias has years upon years of experience around this that i don't have um but uh yeah but i sorry where i was going with that was that um it don't let the clothing uh kind of stop you from experiencing this or thinking that it's uh, you don't have the right clothing for this because as far as i know Jeremy, is we have sort of enough kit up there at your homestead in order to make sure that everybody is com- com- comfortable yeah. and warm throughout the the course as well so yeah and it's it, it just, just like you mentioned like 
don't worry about clothing if we talk about the course and if you're coming up here we do have the thermal outer layers necessary to keep you warm so it is a way for you as an individual to try out the clothing that you have how they work in winter so you have some sort of a baseline to use if there's anything that you're gonna get for an upcoming trip or expedition or whatever it might be or other winter uh, things that you like to do we do have the important clothing that you need and you can try out the stuff that you want that you already have so it's not it doesn't need to be this very financially uh, heavy thing to go to the arctic a lot of people that live in areas that do get cold weather they do get a lot of rain that type of cold that, that we might not get up here in the same way might you, you you guys might have the clothing that is needed it's just not you have just not tested it yet yeah very exactly like um the old uh, henry thoreau quote which is you know always be wary of an endeavor that requires you to buy new clothing the main thing might be size of clothing a little bit more loose fitting for my personal preference that's what my winter clothing is the major thing compared to my uh, summer it's more loose fitting so i can fit more layers but other than that like the ideas behind layering is still the same i just want to be able to fit more right and, and for me my kind of more personal preference is more towards um and uh, ned flanders uh, kind of latex and anything that's going to be spandex really close to the skin i feel like i'm wearing nothing at all and that that's usually my preference um, so if you are coming up yeah. to uh, take a trip with us, just be aware of that, that um, I might be wearing um, some spandex onesies, um, but you don't. He will, uh, Porg will come and pick you guys up from the airport or the train station <laughs> on a road bike. Um, <laughs> so wear your own spandex. Yeah. We'll bring a road bike for you as well. Yeah. Or if, if it's snowing, we'll bring this. If that's your thing. Yeah, exactly. Or if it's snowing, we'll bring the snowmobile. You guys can get on the back, um, you know, hold on to me you'll be fine you have to bike you have to bike behind us right exactly exactly <laughs> uh, but jeremy that's like as we said like a really dense episode lot to pick from that i think um probably people will probably have to listen to that episode a couple of times um but saying that is there anything that we kind of haven't touched on here that i think is important to think about um when it comes to sort of uh building yourself a cold weather clothing uh, kind of kit or setup from from your experience i mean probably a lot right like yeah i mean you could we my, could talk about it for another two hours like i mentioned just yeah like i mentioned just just before like it's it's not that big of a difference summer versus winter my main thing is that i like roomier clothes so i can fit more layers and even in summer, like the the more the years go by, that's how, that that sounds so weird. But like tight fitting clothes, just in general, like it is it, it is nice. It can be quite, quite comfortable. But I'm I'm going more and more towards having the same type of clothing modular throughout the whole year. So even the summer clothing is becoming a little bit bigger in that in that way, so that I can use it in winter. And that is like. That, that's the quote secret it is to fit layers it is to be able to to trap as much of the air the warm air that your body is producing mm -hmm. 
as possible. Yeah, definitely. Pro tip. Then there's a million of different ways of, of, uh, of uh, nerding into wool, fleece, nylon, cotton kills. Like there's all of those things are super interesting topics. But for someone that just wants to have like the absolute baseline of it is not constricting blood flow, whether it's to your hands, to your feet, to your head. Um, find a way to trap as much air as possible with layers, not with one layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe there's an episode in the future that we can concentrate on specific the specific qualities of each of those materials um whether it's cotton whether it's wool whether it's alpaca whether it's whatever ventile we can we could we can kind of go into those materials maybe in depth in, a, in an episode down the line if that's something that people are interested in in kind of hearing about um but i think for now uh as i said coming up we're past the two-hour mark now and i think we've probably uh, bombarded them with enough information um Jeremias, as I said, it's fucking great to be back up and running the podcast again with you un- sure. uninterrupted. We tried it, as we, I was saying to everybody in the last episode, we tried I re- tried recording from the bell tent um, and it was just like literally like around here, especially during the summer, like a lot of kids and teenagers, they all ride like dirt bikes and they're like the noisiest fucking vehicle that you'll ever hear and they go down they roam around in like hordes like bandits from fucking like mad max or something in their on their dirt bikes <laughs> and it's infuriating when you're trying to like record something um but look dude it's it's really great to have you back on the show again and we're back up and running and kind of hit the ground running for the 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 season ahead oh yeah I like it. Man, a few words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Like, I mean, you're, 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 you said all the things. Okay. What I'll... can I say? You said all the things. I 100% <laughs> agree. I really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to have this sort of project up and running again. Mm-hmm. It's been a busy summer for me. Um, but now it's a little bit calmer until winter hits, then it's full on again. But yep. uh, there's always time to have a good chat. Agreed. Agreed. But uh, everybody, thanks for listening and tuning in for another episode of Trial by Fire. Uh, next week, I will um, be giving you guys a an interview that I did at the Danish Outdoor Festival. Um, kind of, it was a live live event, so I plugged the microphone in front of the speakers, so uh, you can kind of hear all the ambient sounds. So we 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 talked on stage. We covered many different topics, and um, I won't go into any of them here because we're we're at the at the hour as it is here but um keep an eye out for that and hopefully if you guys have any questions about this episode make sure to get get in contact with us either through instagram or through the website Uh, you know where to find us um if you've got any questions as i said there'll be a link in the bottom of this uh, website or at the bottom of this episode with all the or as much of the information that i can i'm gonna have to go back and listen to our episode now and literally Uh, type out any sort of uh, references or links that I think are going to be valuable to you guys so hopefully uh, that helps you guys in your journey to um, keeping yourself warm and dry this winter and so for me here in Finland and from Jeremias in Sweden just want to say thanks again and uh, hope you guys are taking care of yourselves yeah so take care until next time bye bye until next time bye